equals spin The propaganda's win Stress feeding on my attention My countrymen, they love their fiction Words are now Displayed with good intentions Welcome to 1 and 200, the independent politics and media podcast That was an incredibly quick intro And I'm ashamed of myself that's not good radio but we've got a midweek uh special issues uh podcast for you today this maybe is dropping on saturday so uh a bit later in the week than usual so much has been happening in the world everything is traumatic uh and moving too quickly and horrible uh and we're going to be discussing today one of the most horrible things happening right now which is the ongoing genocide in Gaza and specifically around the state of information um, and media being used to communicate uh, and propagandize uh, about what is happening there. I'm joined by two very special guests. Uh, I've got Olivier Jutel. Olivier, do you want to give your your cred? Oh, dang. Okay. All right. All right. So, you know, it was funny because I, I did, I was at the, the rally a couple of weeks ago and um, I didn't go to the official coordinating meeting, but I did say to my uh, fellow organizer, Brandon Johnston, I'm like, look, man, do you need a Jew, you know, to say what's morally clear in this moment? Because I will, I will, uh, I will go into battle um, for the rights of Palestinians, because uh, this is something that's been, I guess, oh, God, it's so annoying. I hate, I hate doing standpoint theory, uh, id poll generally, but look, okay, this is one where it breaks down that way for me. As a family of educated liberal Zionist to anti-Zionist spectrum, and you know, different members of my family fall on that. Um, this has been part of whatever journey, personal, political, um, sort of awakening for me as, as a young person. And what was interesting to me is is how the Israel-Palestine issue came into sort of sharp relief in the late 90s around the Camp David stuff, and then very quickly. We're into Bush, Iraq war, uh, clash of civilizations, you know, like, so, you know, Edward Said, Noam Chomsky, Finkelstein, these are like the guys that are really giving me uh, a sense of like, yeah, what it is to be American and Jewish and, uh, and why this issue matters. You know, Dershowitz uh, wrote the book Case for Israel. And one of the, the points that he makes that's popular and whatever, is there something to it? It's like, oh, why, why Israel? Why Palestine? Why this obsessive focus on the Jews? Well, look, okay, I'm Jewish. I'm American. It's the central question of like American power. And it is this key lens through which we have to understand what American racism and geopolitical control of that region means, right? Like what they're willing to accept in terms of you know, forcing unconscionable death upon Palestinians, but also to make this like, you know, something that we rally and support as as the good, as the thing that like actually defines our upholding of, of whatever values and, and all the rest of it. So that's a very sort of sharp thing for me. I do got to shout out uh, my late grandmother who, um, you know, had this really intense rivalry with her sister-in-law who was like, you know, my, uh, so that's my great aunt, like, um, you know, who like was part of this whole sub thing that happened in the eighties, which is like, you know, planting trees in Israel for American Jews. So like, you know, I had a tree planted for her. It's part of the, just creating this, you know, homeland connective by any means possible. But my grandmother detested that shit. She was like, we're Americans. Okay. These people, they care more about Israel 
than our communities here and the work we need to do here. And so she she had no time for the, for that bullshit. And that, you know, I guess that kind of worked its way through to me. Um, so I guess that's the background. I was really touched or devastated by uh, Norman Finkelstein's recent um, interview on Truanon where he talked about like, look, this was off my radar for five years. I was in the depths and pits of despair. And I, man, I can relate. This was something that I was active in and it fell off and I become completely despondent about it. And now here we are. It's this, you know, the slow genocide is becoming the fast genocide. So we, we got to do something. There we go. I'm on a, I'm on a podcast with Emmy and Kyle. Cheers, Olivier. Uh, and also, uh, as um, implied there uh, by OJ, uh, joined by Emmy Rakti. Hand over to you for your intro, Emmy. Yeah, what's up, man? Um, yeah, Olivier, um, the, see, Jewish people are Maori people. There was this racist myth that we were one of the lost tribes of Israel. And everyone, like, they, I think they were doing, like, skull science to say this. But only Jewish people and Maori people would, like, have in our introduction, like, oh, my grandmother. We're the only races who will do that. So that that's, like, a deeper abiding connection, I think. So, um, hi, I'm Emi Rakete. Um, My credentials. Um, so my, my kind of interest in this topic, like, kind of uh, in terms of, like, what's my skill set here? Um, I'm the pre-spokesperson for People Against Prisons Aotearoa. So... Um, for the last kind of, I feel old, last like eight years, um, I've been doing most of the media relations for Papa. I wrote an article about that actually on the 10200 website, which is well worth your time and uh, money if you can send them some money somehow. Um, so I've kind of got experience looking at like the stuff that comes out of media because I need to read what these people are talking about so they can understand them. Um, and a lot of experience also trying to get stuff into media. Like how do you, as a communist prison abolitionist, uh, like do an interview for News Hub, right? Or ZB. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I, I, I'm really interested in um, like how do we uh, share? How do we how do we get stuff out there? And what we're seeing right now is just the the, the most fucking gruesome. Do we swear on this show? Absolutely. Yeah, the most fucking gruesome, um, like use of, of of media. And I I I think that's worth like that's worth thinking about theoretically. So I'm looking forward to doing that. And I think it's also a practical political problem of um, how do we, how do we build power? So, um, I mean, that's why I'm on this show. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's kind of my, my, my skill set. what I'm, what I'm bringing to the conversation. I think um, like Olivia, right. I've got a long anecdote for why this matters to me and this really fucking matters to me. So obviously um, Aotearoa, we're not speaking Maori right now. We could switch. Are you guys, should we switch? Not I, I would be incapable of doing so i'm afraid ah <laughs> oh, embarrassing um <laughs> but the reason that this shit is so important to me is because like we this is it palestine here like this 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 shit all happened already um and and, and looking at palestine and the palestinian struggle for national liberation like that's like almost beat for beat what my ancestors went through so for us, I'm from the north, and for us, um, we had a, like a really clear treaty with the British establishing our national boundaries and our national responsibilities as two independent nations. We abided by the norms of international law at the time. Like we went to Britain and said, hi, we are a state called, um, te, uh, what do we call it? Te Paremata? But like we we like did all of the shit that they said was totally normal in like the post-Westphalia era to be a nation state. We had diplomatic relations with the British. We abided by international law. And they threw all of that shit in the garbage instantly and started treating us like subhuman savages who needed to be corralled into camps, pushed off of our land, um, and, and, and shoved around to the point of a gun. And so we declared war on them. 
um, and that involved like shooting back at them. <laughs> and um, we didn't have the juice and they managed to take us out and force us to concede in 1846. And since then, we had to live on the worst scraps left over of the least productive land and scrabble to live the like shittiest, most miserable lives that we could and um, like crawl in the dirt like animals for um, now like nearly two centuries and have, have been debased as a, as a people for, for two centuries. And now kind of my interest, my research interest, I'm an academic, ugh, my research interest is prisons, right? And we see how people act, how they live, what kinds of lives they have after two centuries of immiseration like this. And so when I look at Palestine, I see people who are going through now what my ancestors went through in the Flagstaff War, fighting under Honeheke. And I see people talking about them in exactly the same ways. My ancestors were called mass raping, violence loving, um, uncontrollable barbaric murderers for daring to shoot back just as people of Palestine are being called all of these slurs right now for engaging in armed resistance to colonization. And so for, for me, it's um, almost like a, an opportunity to, to turn the clock back on what we have gone through in this country and stop it from happening to another people. And that's why, it, to, to me, it's a really urgent kind of political priority. I mean, the parallels are fucking eerie between the colonization of Palestine and the colonization of Aotearoa. So my name, Rakiti, Rakiti is not a Maori word, it's a loan word from English, and it means rocket, because the British had us pinned down in the um, fort at um, Rua Pika Pika and um, just hammered it with rockets for like two, like a week, I think, and managed to kill two of my ancestors. And so we abandoned our baptismal name and changed it to Rakiti and held on to it for the last 180 years. But th we're seeing that same kind of bombardment happening now in Gaza, so the I, I feel strongly called and maybe I'm getting into like spiritual moral claims here but I feel really strongly called to to defend the Palestinian national project because of the specific history of this country it's it's kind of remarkable I, I know for uh, a lot of whatever normal educated people of, of good conscience um, going full uh, anti-colonial liberation movement is some you know whatever it's a bit uh, we just want pain to stop or or whatever right um but we have to really think about what the state of israel is uh historically and what the accelerated timeline towards what it is becoming and enacting right now is and for all the people that have been obsessed um with fascism and, and all the rest of it for the last six seven years um there are some absolutely bone chilling aspects to the current um, conflict, whatever, you know, the, 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 the way in which Israel is fulfilling it's kind of latent, again, I, I guess the best way to, from slow genocide to escalating rapid genocide. Um, like the, I mean, okay, there's Ben Gavir, there's Smotrich, I mean, Netanyahu is bad enough. Um, but we're seeing, as you said, I mean, we're seeing obviously the language to, to, to go on to, you know, British TV, we've had the UK ambassador, you know, um, berate and dress down media for uh, challenging them on this collective punishment question. And, you know, the nature of our enemy is this collective enemy. The people of Gaza could have risen up. The people of Gaza could have this, could have that. I mean, what the people of Gaza have gone, gone through, and again, just to highlight the siege of the last 
um, 17 years, right, is like complete deprivation of whatever. It's it's a prison camp. It's a concentration camp. It's a, a you know, penned in, no mobility, slaughtered, given random, random subject to death, surveillance, all the rest of it. It's unconscionable. But we're seeing, you know, the, the crazy thing, of course, is that the minister um, for finance, Smotrich, when Ariel Sharon, a Likudnik, was part of was in uh, doing the disengagement from Gaza policy, which was, you know, um, not what Sheree Trotter says, uh, giving Ranga uh, Tiratanga to Gazans. It wasn't that. It was simply, we're going to manage this prison camp um, and make the strategic decision to pivot to the West Bank. Smotrick was intercepted by the head, by the Shin Bet. And the head of the Shin Bet at the time said that he and a colleague were part of this highway uh, occupation lockdown and they had a car full of gasoline and they themselves were drenched in gasoline and maybe just sort of like in a Cohen Brothers-esque moment of stupidity, they might have self-emulated themselves. But these are terrorists. Like Smotrick was a terrorist. Ben Gavir is arming terrorists. Like that's, you know, that's what he's doing. He's taking settler youths. He's arming them. They are attacking not just Palestinians, but members of the Israeli left and the peace movement. I mean, we're going to see, it, it's so strange to see the people that say, well, Netanyahu's not Israel, right? And now those same, let's, whatever, liberal Zionists are completely, you know, all Jews must support this operation. This enemy is coming for all Jews and not asking any question about what it is that their society and their national project, they claim is so important to them, has become. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, again, that's a line for, let's just say, squishy liberals of good conscience that don't want to do the whole, whole colonial thing and look at our own society. Well, but, you know, like, we're we're at this, like, point now where it's accelerated to, we have to be talking in these, you know, uh, these big conceptual terms of, are you supporting of, you know, colonial exterminationist policy or not? You know, that's that's where we are. Yeah, I, th- I think like the, the the obvious fascistic character of Israeli kind of the political apparatus, at least, if not society in general. I don't know if I'm qualified to like make a diagnosis, but I'm aging towards it, right? The, 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 how apparent it is and yet how absent any acknowledgement of the obvious fascism there. I, I think that this kind of tells us something, right? Because there's a contradiction between, on the one hand, the tone and the tenor of especially kind of the American liberal left in the context of Donald Trump winning an election, which was panicked, right? Like very, very panicked and stayed panicked for the entire time. And and then kind of this falling into senescence once this exact same kind of politics is actually enacted in practice, um, called to mind um, Amos Assayer's Discourse on Colonialism, um, which is written in the context of the Algerian Revolution, where he's talking about how um, the there's kind of this horror in Europe at fascism, um, but but Europe had made use of kind of the tools of fascism um, the, this entire time, um, but they'd done it in the colonies. And it was only once um, kind of what had been held at arm's length had to come home that um, they were um, kind of able to recognize the, the inhumanity, partially because it was being done to Europeans. Um, so I think that this, this dissonance tells us that there's something really interesting going on in how this conflict it feels absurd to call it a conflict right how but uh, how this genocide is being conceived of in palestine 
versus how these politics would be obviously immediately recognized if they were happening to, to people who could be recognized as human. And I think to bring this back to this question of media and disinformation, that the Palestinian people, and I think as, as an extension of that, kind of all colonized people, all peoples of the third world in general, right? The way that we have been conceived of and presented um, makes this fascism possible. And so I think that to me has been the really interesting thing through all of this um, kind of media discourse over the last, is it two weeks now? Mm -hmm. Longer than that, three weeks, yeah? The way that um, kind of, it was never thought of as a monstrous crime to shoot Palestinians. It was conceived of as a monstrous crime for Palestinians to shoot back. And it takes a lot of work to maintain that kind of contradiction. I, well, last, I do want to talk about uh, media, disinfo, all that stuff, but I, I got the Lowenstein book, the Palestinian, uh, the Palestine Laboratory. Which is um, another which, like um, aspect of this entire thing, right? Like it's very, very prescient. I, and I think to, I mean, immediate claim to mind uh, immediately came to mind, which and, and the core thesis that basically from Argentina, Chile, Guatemala, Rohingya, Sri Lanka, Rwanda, like Israeli arms, South Africa, apartheid South Africa, right? Israeli arms manufacturers and military trainers. All that, like this is the, the in a certain sense, Israel brings the logic of whatever, what what some people have called the American Fourth Reich, you know, perfectly sort of encaptures. It's a state in which its economy, the arms, the technological sector is so key to fueling these other, you know, uh, proxy wars and repressions of indigenous and left wing movements, right, that have been so key to America in not just the Cold War era, but the rest of that. And then there is the uh, the way that that transforms Israel to this, like, yes, you need us. We are literally the, tr- like, like, let's strip the varnish of the whatever liberal thing, fantasy that, um, you know, that we tell ourselves, like, you need us. This is the reality. We're fighting these enemies and we'll go to any extent. And this is something that they've, you know, in, in, enabled in all these different contexts. So there's all this, you know, whatever chickens coming home to roost, obviously, as uh, was it Gideon Levy and Haaretz who said, you know, you can't imprison two million people without suffering this uh, some brutal price. Mm-hmm. But it's all these other political, economic and imperial machinations that that produce this this mode, this genocidal mode that we're currently in. And that and, and that makes uh, this weird contradiction of whatever it is that Biden and Blinken and the rest of them, that that needle that they're trying to thread um, unconvincingly and leading to look, whatever you want to think of American prestige or influence or no, I mean, look, OK, the notion that uh, America could be appealed to on some broader uh, humanitarian international law. I mean, you know, no one should really indulge that fantasy, but we've been actually what's crazy is the last, you know, post Ukraine, Russia, right? This has actually been the thing that we've been telling ourselves, right? Rules-based international order. But this, this, you know, this kind of policy of death and capitalist machinery, which, you know, the the brutal irony, of course, is that it didn't protect um, the Israeli citizens, right? That were subject to, to Gaza's raid. So, and it doesn't even, I mean, like, again, capitalism doesn't have to work. It doesn't have to do what it says it's going to do. But that that machine keeps grinding on. And and I don't think we'll see any hit to whatever, like that American Israeli tech military uh, 
yeah, engine that we have to kind of grapple with. But we can talk about disinfo and media and shit now too. Yeah, I think that's some really good context um, just around the, the wider issues. But let's um, jump back a, a few weeks to uh, when the latest escalations began. Um, and, you know, this immediate publishing of just falsehoods around what had happened, around what was going to happen, and having that picked up by almost every major Western media outlet as truth, um, as well as many major Western leaders who would then repeat this stuff. Um, And I think the archetypal one, this is like, I I want to apologize to everyone because this is going to, I'm going to be very objective about really horrific stuff, but the uh, 40 uh, babies, what do you you call it? Propaganda, um, I think, is the only word for it at this point, which was one of the first uh, examples of using disinfo to dehumanize the Palestinians in Gaza. It was published just about everywhere um, as truth, even though the original story had said that they were to- the journalist was told that this has happened, but was showing no proof of it. Yeah. So it said that in the original story, uh, and then culminated in, although you know it's still ongoing. U.S. President Joe Biden getting uh, up on the podium and saying he'd, well, he did, he was very careful in the way he said it. He said, "I never thought I'd see these photos um, of of these forty um, murdered babies," and the reason he never. Th- thought he'd see them is because he never has. Um, And within minutes, uh, the White House had to come out with a clarification statement saying he hadn't seen these photos. But everyone reported on it as Joe Biden confirms uh, evidence that this had happened. Now, to be fair, Joe Biden will, if you ask him, confirm that he can smell burnt toast at basically (laughs) any given moment. So it's hard, really. He was reading off a teleprompter. He was reading off a teleprompter. Yeah. Sorry, just Reddit burnt toast. There's this, I saw this fucked up thing where uh, Rachel Corey, the American peace activist that was crushed by an Israeli bulldozer in 2001, where there's like this ritual of like making pancakes of her image. Sorry, burnt toast. I don't know. Like, it's, What I, the fuck? I'm, I mean, I'm seeing, look, look. This is so we'll get into this. We'll get into this because this is yeah, like, we're, we're seeing crazy. We're going somewhere right. good. I throw us right off the rails. Please, please right. get back to where you were. <laughs> um... <laughs> Yeah, and it, you know, it's, it's an on that that piece of propaganda is an ongoing. What, what do you call it? Like uh, beacon that will be referred to uh, by you know any number of people in, in, on social media. Um, so just you know, random members of the public who are pro-Israel, as well as uh, still uh, Israeli officials will still refer to this uh, as being the truth, uh, despite it being widely confirmed as being a falsehood at this stage. And, you know, that was in the first couple of days. And it's just continued. Alongside that, we've just seen zero analysis of what's happening there. We've had no discussion about like, okay, this is a very polluted information space. I think a lot of us in kind of left media critique, (laughs) I don't know what to call what we are, uh, we're prepared for this given what happened uh, during Ukraine, um, the invasion of Ukraine. Uh, where it was, it was very similar, like very, like very clear falsehoods being run out, um, which were just 
accepted wholesale, like stuff like video game footage being used um, mm. as evidence of uh, Ukrainian uh, victory. And it was it was ludicrous stuff. And I think, and we'll get into this a bit more as well, I think the way that that happened means that the wider public is a bit more inoculated to it this time around. Um, so even though we're seeing this in the media um, and from leadership, it feels like the public in general is more on the side of Palestine in in this case. But Olivier, in terms of like the media ecosystem, what's your take as a media professor? Well, first I have to I have to denounce myself for doing a fake news. The Rachel Corey pancakes is a 2014 story. So there we go. Um, okay. Okay. But on the, on this bigger question, question, look, there's, there's the look, Jake Tapper, Clarissa Ward, Anderson Cooper, that other woman from CNN that did the beheaded babies, that they're, that they're, uh, they're American apparatchiks, right? Like this is actually one of the most infuriating things about the disinfo paradigm is how much they hate Edward Herman and Noam Chomsky's manufacturing of consent, which basically talks about capitalist imperialist propaganda media system. And, uh, and actually a lot of media scholars hate that because it's like, oh, that's just a, you know, a reductionist, Marxist, blah, 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 whatever, that sort of thing. It's, and it's not our fault that Karl Marx was right. It's, that's right. <laughs> that's right. And actually, it's funny because Chomsky would uh, not do, not think of this as straight line. Well, look, shout out to Baron and Sweezy and the great tradition of American sociology and Marxists and all that kind of stuff. But so there's a lot more um, in, in those sorts of theories that it's given credit for. But sometimes it's just that blunt and crude. And we are seeing that, right? Anderson corrects himself to say Palestinian civil oh, oh, Palestinians um, would be Hamas and uh, suicide bombers, right? Like we know that those are just the um, the reflexes of empire kicking in. One of the things that was really interesting though was uh, so in uh, on MSNBC, all of their um, Arab uh, pundits and hosts have been off air. Insane move, which is which is crazy. It's that just was like, after a week, like a weekend. And they oh, it was, it was basically like, you know, don't come to work on Monday. I mean, we, we, uh, Phil Donahue, of course, during the build up to the Iraq war, shout out to Phil Donahue. You know, he was like one of the first sort of head, like the, these organs of empire kick into gear when, you know, when it's time to do its thing. Right. So Donahue had to go during Iraq, Mehdi Hassan and, um, all that, that, that's, that's gone. But one, one of the things that was really interesting in the Jewish currents article, was that they talked to different um, uh, Muslim, Palestinian academics, activists, spokespeople, all the rest of it, who were uh, screened, but then not brought onto air. Um, and one of them recalled a producer saying from CNN, so so this Hamas thing is new, right? So, which is, wow, that, that really hurts. That hurts my brain to think that that's the level of whatever education and awareness of the world and American myopia, which if you're starting with that level of um, whatever idiocy, it's going to be very hard to then cut through what is a very sophisticated Hezbara, um, you know, Zionist lobbying influence operation, the kinds of things that, 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 you know, takes root and uh in washington dc but on campuses across the u.s um 
and it's something that's brilliantly captured in the Al Jazeera documentary, The Lobby, um, which uh, the American, there's a UK edition of this um, documentary that aired. And, and again, we can we can see how this uh, thing takes takes shape to then mobilize against somebody like Jeremy Corbyn, who threatens, uh, you know, the interests of whatever the UK and its relationship to Israel, uh, US and empire. Um, but the American version was actually suppressed and you have to find it on the electronic antifada. Um, and it's yeah. And then you have, uh, yeah, just the kind of bloodthirsty, whether these are Israeli spokespeople really pushing the envelope with no pushback or um, there's that. I mean, I'm seeing this guy pop up all over the place, which is um, not Ahmed Yassin, sorry, the son of a former Hamas leader. Uh, I don't want to get his, uh, sorry, I don't want to get his, the Green Prince. And he's going on Fox News saying that Hamas is not ISIS. It's worse than ISIS. You know, they just wanted a caliphate in Syria. They want a caliphate of the world and they want to kill all the Jews. And and then some Fox News blondes are nodding along. Right. So we're we are we're back fully in sort of post 9-11 clash of civilizations, hatred of Muslims, hatred of Palestinians um, in, in our whatever our media intellectual superstructure. You're right that the population is not with them on that. Mm. Um, but uh, it's a powerful set of forces to, to feel like you can sort of go up against. And and shout out to, you know, the young uh, TikTokers and the Gen Z kids that are doing really well. And Hassan Piker has been really excellent. I had, oh God, I've got more to say on this, um, but I can I can stop there for now. I think you touched on something really important too, which is just that the because I, the left is often unfairly maligned as being kind of prone to conspiratorial thinking, which I, I think like occasionally they definitely did something to JFK, right? We'll, we can come back to this for like a bonus episode maybe because they definitely did something. But I think this is usually an unfair, other than for JFK, this is usually an unfair accusation made against us, right? Uh, I think it was um, Pare- Michael Parenti, an American historian who made this point that well, the ruling class rules because it is like ruling, right? They're in charge. And if they're in charge, they're pursuing their interests. And if you're pursuing your interests, you've got to consciously do that. And so they will like figure out how to pursue their interests. And yeah, sometimes they're going to do that in a room, right? So the idea <laughs> that that like that it's categorically impossible for things to be deliberately and consciously pursued as part of a conscious strategy uh, is kind of absurd. And we, we end up really, really underestimating the capitalist class if we pretend that they're all kind of bumbling around, tripping over their own dicks and like carpet bombing a country and spending $100 billion on bombs so that more carpet bombing can occur. And so when we think about media, I, I think that we're often unfairly accused of going like, oh, you think that all these journalists are being like fed a line, right? Like the CIA has got a little bead in the ear and it's feeding them lines to say, which oh, isn't really the process, right? Mm. Um, the, 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 this is an ideological state apparatus, right? I'm an Althusserian, sorry, it's a little bit embarrassing. Uh, and what I mean by this is that it's a nominally independent organization, like like C- CNN, right? Is not a formal part of the American government. The president can't hire and fire. All of these media companies are nominally independent. But they are unified by the dominant ideology. They they can't say insane things, seemingly insane things, like let Palestinians live like normal people. They can't say that stuff without 
stepping outside of the like acceptable bounds for discourse, right? Outside of this Overton window for all that we don't love that framing. And so sure, they may be nominally independent, but they are functionally unified by the ruling ideology, which means that if you want to be a television journalist, you have to be quite good at not saying maybe Israel doesn't have a right to indiscriminately bomb people for three weeks. And so you get all of these people by virtue of having gotten into that chair who are unwilling, who have been trained not to point out these obvious facts. And so uh, through this kind of structural process that sorts people into their positions, we end up with a media kind of ecosystem, which is very tightly controlled by the ruling class just through indirect means. And we don't even need to um, rely on that analysis at this point, because as we just said, like all the Muslim hosts were just taken off air within a week of this stuff happening. You know, that's, that's not just like happening. Like that's not just the structures um, of those companies causing that to happen. That's a conscious decision made. I'm fucking speechless that they did this. It's it's like a 2003 level move. I, I, it's, I mean, what it shows is that all this kind of diversity talk really doesn't matter, right? If you're someone who might point out that a racist genocide is happening, you're going to be taken out of any position where you may be able to do something about it. Which means I think we need to be really willing to kind of burn our lives down if we need to, right? None of these hosts have gone, hey, this is fucking racist. I would hope that if I got kind of stuffed into a back room at my work because something was happening to Māori, that I would be ready to like use that. And I'm kind of surprised and maybe not that surprised that that that, that hasn't happened. Mehdi Hassan, come on the podcast if you're listening. <laughs> Comrade Mehdi, full, full solidarity. No, the uh, this is... Um... So, all right. Let's. There's. There's also the question of like uh, how much political for the, for those that maybe have a conscience or whatever. It's like okay, you know, you maybe you keep your powder dry for the right moment, the right time. You're doing all these sorts of calculations. But I think even just at a broader ethical level, um, we live in this sort of like crisis of or whatever, just like a moral ethical crisis whereby no one is prepared to, as you say, I mean, make these decisions about their lives that will impact them. Like, I mean, I, it's, it's, I actually probably did this rant already uh, on the last appearance, which was just that like, right, your, your own journey is like, is the struggle. Like there's no collective sense of like, you know, being part of something. If you're the, head of the labor party it's because or whatever i mean we saw some of this with the hillary clinton you know she had the best cv like you know there's this sort of whatever yo pro notion of ethics and by virtue of getting in i can do a thing and maybe at the right time at the right moment i'll do the thing and then it'll be okay but you know political capital um, calculations right yeah which in the totality obviously shuts everything down here's what i and i mean my god pulling of medi and the rest um, Ali Velshi, the, the chaos that this will do to the in-house, in this house, we believe people, right? Like this whole, yeah, that, that, that diversity tolerance thing. I, I don't know how it withstands whatever's coming down, you know, this, these next, what this might be a multi-year engagement as we're hearing, but I, here's, here's the thing. I think bringing it back to like 2016 and, and the role of the journalist class in both priming us that disinformation and information war is the most important threat that we face today and then constantly subjecting us to information war and making information warriors of us all to mobilize for you know ukraine syria uh and now israel like you know like so but but this is the sort of you're creating on let's just say whatever liberal progressive or liberal america 
the the Blue Anon stuff, the Robert Mueller stuff, that there's going to be some revelation, some new bit of information that's going to then, I don't know, somehow the, the House of Cards is going to come tumbling down. We saw the QAnon people take on this, the, you know, in, in, I suppose, in, in ways that have less cultural capital and in ways that are probably more narcissistic, psychotic or whatever. But I'm not, you know, the Blue Anon stuff's bad. And then we had the QAnon stuff. So we're all um, primed now to view this constant onslaught of, of violence in our feeds within the sort of terms of our grand civilizational apocalyptic struggle. And so, yes, this this notion that um, all Jews are threatened by the existence of Hamas. I mean, I'm seeing whatever. And this is this is the other thing is like I'm seeing this heuristic I am seeing on social media is like, yeah, that's what we've all got now. Like we're all doing this mad thing of like I'm seeing the Rachel Corey pancakes or I'm saying I'm seeing actually this is worse than 1939 because that was just the nation of Germany and there are uh, however many a billion Muslims. And, you know, so. Um, I'm women wearing dog collars. What accounts are you guys following? Oh, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Yeah. Well, I, in the last, the last thing I'll say on this early in, in response to the George Floyd uh, protests, uh, Susan Rice went on CNN and there was this interview she did with uh, Wolf Blitzer. Susan Rice is a former, sorry, she's in the cabinet now. She's Obama's former UN um, secretary, um, ambassador. And and she said that, like, look, we're seeing Russian manipulation, the Russian drive to tear us apart. They're manipulating these Black Lives Matter protests. Mm -hmm. And then Wolf Blitzer's like, yes, yes, absolutely. And then Susan Rice says, yes, we see it every day on our social media feeds, which, I mean, look, maybe she's just as debased as the rest of us grappling, going insane by looking at our social media feeds. But in general, like that's this new mode by which we're trying to like find our place in the world. And it encourages us to sort of like go mad and demand, you know, to 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 quote the war nerd, we would call in an airstrike on our next door neighbor if we could. Right. So it, it's actually sort of like priming and stoking whatever genocidal, fascistic, collective unconscious of Yes, like American liberals and neocons and all the rest of it. So it's it's this is the sort of disinformation or information total warfare that we're all sort of like being subject to as part of mobilizing us for whatever the fuck comes next in Gaza. And it's necessitated as well, like for anyone who actually wants to try and find information about the stuff because of like the wall to wall uh, media coverage in the opposite direction. But you have to be on social media to have up-to-date information, um, whether that's like you found a good source, which tends to be correct, or you're putting together all the pieces and saying, okay, so this stuff is out at, at this end of the Overton window. This stuff is out at this other end of the Overton window. Let's uh, keep that all in mind, right? You're, you're juggling all these uh, multiple sources to try and figure out what's actually happening here. But you can't find it anywhere else. Yeah, and I, I think that like the one of the really hard things, right, is that like for instance, for, for with with this, right, with just with with this, without looking at grass around for any other examples, it's really difficult to figure out what is going on because you have to scramble for, for so many sources, right? That there's so many, and it's not like there is a unified kind of media apparatus to give you like the straight dope, right? 
I've got like a handful of accounts that I've kind of bumped into over the years who have given me like pretty a pretty good understanding of what's going on in Palestine, for instance, because it's one of the one among the things I'm interested in. But if I just wanted to like understand the world, right? If I wanted to have a good understanding of the world, and I'm not like I don't have dementia, so I can't watch actual the actual news. Where do I go, right? There's 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 no one kind of collating just like the news for the left. And that's really, really tricky that like the, one of the key things, and I know this is going to be but one of the key things that got the Bolsheviks into power was that they'd been running a really, really effective media apparatus and had been since um like well before, like Iskra started in the, I want to say the 1890s. So they've been running like for decades before they had their moment. Um, and we just don't have a way because if you wanted to understand the world and you were like a Russian factory worker around the turn of the century, there there was like a source that would tell you about shit. And now it's like DIY, right? Figure it out yourself. And like I'm an insane freak, so obviously I'm going to. And you guys, hmm. no, look, look, so we've I'll all done it. it but it. like, what? How do normal people? How do normal people find find this out? Who aren't going have... to like immerse themselves in it? They're probably not. And I have five letters for you. O-S-I-N-T. No, no. <laughs> the cursed letters. O-S-I-N-T, baby. Oh, no, man. all right. So uh, we, we do got to talk about it. Um, and I so think- this is a, I'll just like um, to preface. Um, this is like one of the, what do you call it? Recognized institutes of truth, right? Like in the current social media landscape is OSINT, uh, which is open source uh, intelligence. It's just some guys. It just and it's just some guys. It's so ludicrous, but it's it's this huge part of the media environment at the moment. If you're if that's how you're trying to find your news, is this stuff is just around um, and it's being um, like, oh look, we look at real data, and so it must be true kind of stuff. But yeah, continue. Uh, no, I mean, this, this, so we had this crisis of 2016. We're all info warriors now, and Facebook was hijacked by Russia, China, et cetera, et cetera. So like, how game do we... theory. Yeah, that's right. Well, that. Oh, do you remember who was that sometimes MSNBC uh, pundit, uh, uh, short haired lesbian woman who said, this is how it. I don't know. Starts. She should call me though. She's funny. That one. She's the one who was like, that said, here's what happens next. The electoral college, this, then Paul Ryan, that then fucking Eleanor Roosevelt's ghost cats, the deciding vote for Hillary Clinton. It was one of these, well, actually it might've Seth Abramson was before her. But it was one of these things that it was like a hope punk viral thing that was before game theory. But that got all a bit weird. So we had to get Bellingcat and those guys yeah. um, to sort of save truth from the epistemological terrorism of like the audience. Uh, yeah, of disinformatia. You know, what was crazy. I had a there was a I'm an old man. So like Joe Biden, I had like a, a burst a burst blood vessel in my eye. Um, which was pretty gross, but it was the same time that in my global communication studies lecture, I was doing a guest lecture on information warfare and I was playing the New York Times documentary about disinformatia, where you get the little fake news germ and then you get the red eye virus that then it was perfect. So I was like, here I am. I look look at my eye. I got the I got the disinfo virus. Okay, sorry. But the basic thing is that like we really can do the stuff, measure craters, in intercept or get leaked to by you know security the security apparatus that actually gives us money and gives us talent to then construct these narratives which are reasonably you know uh there's evidence i mean there's lots of ways of using evidence um all of this is really interestingly 
trying to, I mean, it's, it's part of a propaganda system, but it's, it's, it's in a sort of post politics of like shattering the usual way of yes, anti-colonialist Marxist internationalist ways of interpreting information that, you know, it's actually like a good shorthand, like, you know, being radically ethically committed to, to a politics is is a pretty good way of understanding event A, B, C, D, E. Like, yeah. of course, there's dogmatism and all that stuff. But generally, that's what people have used, you know, ideology, to interpret the world. In fact, the notion that you would strip it down to the pure truth, the pure metadata, the spider infographs or whatever it is that they use is kind of like a form of madness. And I, you know, the the way this propaganda system works, I uh, I may have referenced this clip before in some of my writing, but there's um uh, the social dilemmas, this documentary film, which is terrible for all these different reasons. But on their website, they have this like extra clip where this guy who's one of the co-founders of this Silicon Valley NGO that's helping teens deal with information overload and all this kind of, you know, nice sounding stuff is interviewing um, one of the sort of like OSINT disinfo people who's really prominent and has formerly worked for the CIA and Council on Foreign Relations and stuff. And the guy does like annoying NPR liberal voice. He's like, hey, I, I was talking to Renee, right? And she said something that blew my mind. And then they talk to Renee and Renee says, you know that uh, Russia actually supports anti-fracking groups on Facebook. And he was like, oh my God, I, I just thought anti-fracking was this belief that I had. And now oh, I don't know, I know. It's like, it's, and that's the thing that he's modeling, which is I'm a smart person. I'm completely malleable to a little image that I see. And then I become a, you know, a, a zombie, you know, marching off to war for Putin. And we need the good people to guide us through this sort of like info space. And now, now just be pro-fracking. So now I'm pro-fracking. Now I'm all this stuff. And we've seen, you know, whatever, uh, someone like Josh Marshall, who's an American lib, whatever, NPR lib, who's, you know, whatever, prominent New Zealanders are like using his uh, use of like Bellingcat and other Atlantic Council people to say, yeah, Hamas numbers are faked. And no, the hospital was not hit by, you know, so... This is it becomes a kind of like a, a, a cultural habitus of like, yeah, I'm a I'm a smart, thoughtful person, not bound by ideology. And I interpret all the information, you know, and I and so I trust Bellingham. And that's yeah, yeah it sucks The you, you, you touched on something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. So it's, it's uh, the Al Ali hospital massacre. I think I will always think about now. Um, I'm like a new parent. Well, not new. She's two, but I'm still getting used to it. So like anything with kids just instantly gets me. So I think I'll never forget about the, the the video of the man carrying the parts of his children in two separate garbage bags. Um, And as soon as that happened, obviously Israel did that. And you would have to have been ice picked to not understand that Israel did that, right? But there's, you're right that there is this kind of belief that only a post-political kind of non-ideological way of interpreting the world can be accurate. And otherwise we risk doing disinformation. And so people or, kind of or go, well, I'm going to be open-minded. And then they let their brain fall out. And we all were meant to sit around going, well, who's to say who bombed this hospital? Maybe um, Palestinian Islamic Jihad bombed the hospital and not Israel, who warned this hospital they would bomb it and bombed it like three days ago and then bombed it just now. We, we all had to pretend that we couldn't know, right? Including people who know better, right? And it's because 
So many people, people who are specifically concerned with this information too, so many people have decided that they're going to try not to be ideological. But going back to what I was saying earlier about ideology, right? You can't get out of it. And as soon as you try to be non-ideological, you fall back on the ideology of the ruling class. And in this case, it means that we all kind of put our hands in our pockets and all shucks our way into going, who, who knows? Maybe Israel didn't bomb the hospital that Israel obviously bombed. And it meant that this absurd lie got to circulate and kind of ruin the, the 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 horror that we should all have been feeling about what happened there. And it demobilized people, right? And that it, was it, the intent. I like, want to be really, really clear about this. Like- exactly. And it means that this big chunk of people who, who are specifically concerned with disinformation exactly did what the Israeli state apparatus needed them to do. They were participants in the disinformation kind of um, program, which is fucking troubling, right? We yeah. are kind of... The people who kind of have set themselves up as the ones who are going to fix this problem are functionally part of the disinformation programs of the imperialist countries. And we could understand that if we dared to kind of use an ideology that recognized concepts like imperialism. Can we all start doing that, please? But even even without having to put that framework over it, if you zoom out and you do like uh, a level of objectivity, and you just look at what are the current narratives being kind of pushed out by the US State Department or, or whoever, you say, okay, cool. They're, it's very clear they're dehumanizing Palestinians. Like, I, I don't think that's contestable. Um, even if you're like, uh, you're pro-Israeli, or if you're pro-Israeli um, and you're in the Israeli State um, Department, you're probably using this language yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's, why? Why have they chosen to use that language if it's not to excuse what they're doing in Palestine. There is no reason to use dehumanizing language of Palestinians, except if they're planning to kill Palestinians uh, en masse. Uh, You know, like, you you can just take it at a very basic A A to B level uh, without looking at the evidence or the data or, like, trying to figure out who shot who. You can say they're doing this one thing. There is no reason to do that unless they want to massacre people. Like it's that's just it. Like there's no other reason to use that language. I'm sorry. So uh, I want to I want to I want to come back to Allahi. Uh, New York Times yesterday put out some stuff because again, you know, like people have reputations to sort of you know when we do the postmortem, right? The New York Times needs to be able to say, well, actually. So one week later, now they're casting doubt on some of the images that Israel has provided, et cetera, et cetera. But the point is, right, this demobilization period, running cover in that 48-hour moment, I know I have found myself, like, unable, I'm now unable to watch Al Jazeera every morning like I was, you know, like, I mean, we got to we gotta pace ourselves, obviously, but there's been a kind of a setting in of a certain level of death that's now, whatever, part of this the normal of this operation and and however many hundreds of children and palestinians a day that is 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 unconscionable but that's the that's the sort of space that the kind of yeah remember how they used to talk about what aboutery right that this sort of like um stuff has has enabled and again um some of this is the disinfo crowd have sort of all right, look, people like Shoshana Zuboff, they've never studied media in their lives. Like, they don't come from the disciplines of media communication studies where, you know, people that come from the the the, the Marxist sociologist tradition that Chomsky and Herman are borrowing from have been talking about the corporate degradation of our democracies 
uh, and media effects on all that for decades. They've just sort of like tripped into this, like, oh, this is this new field that we're sort of like established. The crazy thing is that Shoshana's uh, big work, Surveillance Capitalism, that Barack Obama put on his Christmas reading list, which of course he didn't read, I'm sure it was like 800 pages. But like, if Obama's signal boosting this, there's a reason. Um, Robert McChesney and John Bellamy Foster, you know, the two great figures, uh, editors of Monthly Review, that great American uh, socialist uh, quarterly. Only like, Americans who are going to make it out. Sorry. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. Sorry. You don't make oh, the cut. <laughs> the, uh, JBF and uh, and Bob McChesney. Bob McChesney is such a fucking real one that he has written long forwards to the books of Christopher Simpson. And Christopher Simpson has written uh, amazing uh, and I was, it was awesome when Glenn Johnson came on the program. I, I, I think I low-key told Glenn to read these books, but one is about the how, not, you know, uh, post-war Nazi collaborators drove American foreign policy and shaped it for the Cold War. And another book is this one, Science of Coercion, which is about how the creation of communication studies as a discipline was specifically within the remit of kind of information war, psychological warfare, like notions of brainwashing and sort of all the sort of weird behavioral psychology of of that period. So like Bob McChesney, this whole tradition understands propaganda, all the rest of it. Not only that, they wrote an article in 2011 called Surveillance Capitalism that Shoshana Zuboff does not acknowledge, right? It's obviously not read. Like she's, and, and none of these people do the work of, uh, I mean, the same way that we abstract the current moment in Israel from it's complete, you know, whatever historical context, they abstract media systems from these questions of empire. Um, it's all sort of like stimuli effect. Um, and, and, and so the disinfo people, some of them may have hearts in the right place. I don't know. They just don't, they just don't know the field. Right. And, and then, then there are the ones that are sponsored by the national endowment for democracy come from intelligence and all the rest of them. And they're, they're a bit more obvious. I have no problems, um, calling them out, but, so that's that's the overall kind of effect. And it leaves a kind of just haplessness, paralyzing, again, the sort of post-ideological, post-political. No one can imagine any action for politics anymore. That's just sort of like one of the one of the uh, amazing scenes in the Fire and Fury documentary was one of the disinformation researchers going, sure, we have problems in our society, but the way we redress them is through petitioning our lawmakers. And it sounded like, you know, schoolhouse rock. You know, yeah. I'm just a bill. You know, like how, people... how has all that petitioning of Benjamin uh, Netanyahu been going in Israel, yeah. man? Yeah, like, yeah. like because this is a thing. Like, even you know, and again, this is this is very recent context. You know, there's, there's decades of context here for the um, for the current genocide, but even the very recent political history, um, Netanyahu is a monster, and yeah. the people of Israel don't like him. Everyone fucking hates him. He's a criminal. He's yeah. like been trying to change the judiciary and the legislature to keep himself out of prison. And really quickly, he did the thing that Americans think that Russia did for Trump in 2016. He literally did it. James Risen in his book says, look, they had the advanced- This guy's a monster. They had the advanced knowledge of the DNC leaks and they leveraged that for uh, Trump's backing out of the Iran deal. Yeah. So that's I, your version of democracy. Anyway. 
I think there's like a really interesting kind of, I mean, and it's grim, right? Because this is a pretty media, you're a media professor. I'm interested in, professor, what's your job title? Oh, I'm a, I'm a fucking lecturer. Yeah, professor, right, look I'm at you. I'm you, gave, you gave this motherfucker like a $120,000 pay rise right at the top of the <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, right, so like you're doing a media project, you started media, I, I, like my literal passion is doing interviews for media, right? And at the end of the day, I, I think that we, we have to recognize that the balance of forces it doesn't matter, right? All of this comes after the fact. All that that really matters is that the actual naked exercise of force, which Palestine like shows us really clearly, because the West pitied Palestinian people the whole time, right? From day one, people pitied Palestine. Um, but they didn't actually help. We didn't do much to actually help Palestinian people to advance Palestinian national liberation struggle. It was force. And maybe if we had been able to do more, right, if we'd been able to really rally behind BDS the way that we did for the boycott of South Africa, that the nonviolent struggle, the nonviolent resistance might have been more effective. But I can by no means like judge Palestinian people for turning to a strategy of armed struggle as brutal and as horrible as it has been, right? Because the pity didn't matter much. The pity didn't count for much. And all of this kind of, all of this work, all this ideological work in many ways, right? We can help to prepare people and train them and give them an understanding of the world and tell them what needs to be done. But I don't want to be just kind of saying vote at the end of that process, right? I want to be saying, here's how we can exercise force in order to achieve our goals. And I don't necessarily just mean violence, but what I mean is that Actual political power is what what matters, and 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 um, kind of all this stuff has has really been window dressing, right? Who gives a shit if Netanyahu is violating the Israeli constitution? He's going to wipe his ass with that thing, and as so long as he's still useful to the U.S. and useful to the Israeli military, he'll do it. So all of these questions of like politics and change and struggle and history requires then violence to be put in a context, which this is the thing you're not allowed to do. Exactly. This is, you just can't you just can't talk about it. So and and of course I'm horrified, right? I mean those it's very affecting. These are powerful things. And 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 look, I, I have to say that the, the 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 brutal tragedy of this is that you know there are elements of Israeli society that I would find myself sympathetic to, i.e., people that believe in peace, people that have been struggling and doing you know honorable work and all that stuff, and they're caught up and they've been killed and it's it really, you know, it hurts me. And it hurts me in the sense of like, right, then now this is going to hurt the collective. So, you know, all right, Israel is now constantly invoking all Jews. And that that, that language itself is, uh, and again, I hate to do this, whatever, but it doesn't make Jews particularly safe in the world. It's just sort of like part of enabling a kind of clash of civilization demarcation that's going to have massive implications um, for the next it's, decade, it's reaching and, insane levels of rhetoric as well, with multiple people, including Netanyahu, now talking about we're the children of light versus the children of darkness. Shit. Well, he was literally citing the Bible, like biblical, the prophecy of Isaiah and shit. Like it's something scary, man. And I think like that's something we need to keep in mind as well. Is like we're talking about uh, we're talking about the overarching context um, and like what the goals of some of us are, uh, are in terms of ensuring that people aren't able to properly pass the information here um, to get people on side of the US and Israeli geopolitical goals. But there's this other overarching uh, purpose to what is happening in the media and what's happening with the wielding of political power, which is to say to the electorate at large, to the populace, uh, we're going to do this and you can't fucking do anything about it. You're, you're going to be de- desensitized or despairing to the point that you give up. 
Um, and this is this and, is one of the really tricky things of making sense of that disinfo space or grappling for meaning is right. Like is the because uh, I mean, look, there's this uh, denunciation of terrorism of like, why won't they meet us in the battlefield? Like, you know, we're soldiers, they're soldiers. Then we have this like whatever some vision of World War One and those that's the good war and and they're cowards because they refuse to meet us on our terms where we massively overwhelm them and then then there's the incredible moral cowardice of just yes just carpet bombing the most densely populated place on earth and and all the carnage and brutality of that but then there's this like i you know idf the idf operationally hasn't you know whatever it's not 1973 it ain't what it used to be occupying forces suffer disproportionately the psychological effects of like the kinds of, you know, like when the rockets come from Gaza, mm -hmm. there has been this pact in Israeli society that like it's silent now, we can live our lives, we can forget the Palestinians. And when they rupture that bubble, it's really psychologically, as a, again, as a tool of warfare, rather devastating. And so the IDF forces are, I mean, look, what's the right word? I don't know. Look, if they go, if you go man for man, uh, and not to again now be like a war risk game playing analyst. I don't know. I don't think they're very good man for man. You know, they've been for the last decades brutalizing teens. Okay. So that's not quite. And and one of the things that is quite remarkable is that in spite of everything about Gaza, um, operationally, again, this is not moral, this is not a moral judgment, just in terms of operationally, Hamas has, has become, you know, closer to like a Hezbollah, has, has been able to train and keep operational security in ways that are quite, you know, impressive. That's not a moral judgment. That's just a sort of whatever strategic analysis. Now, the the thing that's happening now, uh, there's all the bombing, but then there's, you know, leaks of we're going to gas them in the tunnels. We're going to use nerve gas or we there's a uh, Richard Silverstein has reported that there is a now uh, Israeli security cabinet. The security cabinet has passed the Amalek doctrine, which is a quotation of a biblical verse in which Samuel commands King Saul to extermin exterminate the entire tribe of Amalek. So they're like, you know, invoking biblical genocide. Like, and again, is that psychological warfare or the real fucking thing? But this like, is another thing, right? Like we're told again and again, oh no, they're not really doing this. Um, this is all like, it's this thing if you're like in forums or wherever and other platforms where people are like, oh, this is all just like, the Hamas media operation is really sophisticated and it's getting all this stuff out and you <laughs> have these like absolutely fantastical and pathetic and malicious references to Pallywood as if like there's this huge like me like cinematic media operation um that uh Hamas and Palestine are running to to like place crisis actors and to fake all this shit and that's why the public is in support of Palestine and why you're seeing all this stuff and why people are horrified by it. But you've got Israeli spokespeople and Israeli legislators just coming out and just fucking saying this shit. I, I don't need any of the stuff out of Gaza to know that they're doing a genocide because Israel itself is saying we're going to do a genocide and, and we're legislating for it. And uh, uh, and great Israeli scholars, Baruch Kimmerling, uh, you know, the, the list of like, yes, historical analysis that is brought to bear to say yes. And uh, look, really quickly, uh, anyone see that uh, Voldemort IDF post? <laughs> so fucking good, dude. Oh my, well, this is crazy. So there's this cringe thing of like Israel, the Israel X account posted this image of Voldemort being horrified looking on his phone and like, we will name the enemy. And it was, there's a website. It actually links to a website, Hamas attack. 
and it is a collection of snuff from the from the 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 webcams and the screen what the available evidence that they have like the israeli state is showing images of its own citizens like charred body remains like as a collection of just whatever of incitement of snuff now we've made like you know legislative i mean we we banned the circulation of march 15th videos right because we know that this is uh this is not what we should be these these images are all hosted on google drive it's it's just incredible what is in terms of again thinking and they're just memeing about it they're just memeing about it with these like fucking photoshopped up like pop culture characters it's fucked up it's when action zelandia gets me though i do expect you guys to put a photo of my body on the internet next to i want to say yugi from Yu-Gi-Oh. Who's all right all right that's your trap card yeah thank you yeah yeah all right that's that's that shows the, the media strategy here right which is that it's 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 fuel, and I think like I mean, and to be fair, um, the Palestinian resistance is using the same tactic, right? Uh, like we've I've I've seen um, more dead children than living children in the last three weeks um, on social media, right? It's an interesting kind of phenomenon. I I don't know how it's going to end, right? I think that it really does kind of inure us in many ways to kind of this the it's becoming it's becoming fairly normal i think to see snuff online in a way that it was like a fucked up i had like a fucked up hobby as a teenager of looking at snuff um because i was like not well um but now i think that it's a really really normal thing to encounter i see dead people like corpses online constantly with without i want to stress this without going out of my way to find them um and i saw someone on on x we call it that now I'd call I whatever you want. sorry i did that sorry did. it was an interesting move um, I, I saw someone on twitter kind of critiquing the way that people are sharing footage of kind of these israeli atrocities in gaza and their argument was that it was kind of akin to um people who would show up to lynchings to spectate but i don't know how true that is right i i to me the palestinian media resistance strategy uh resistance media strategy here seems more like um the way that emmett till's mother deliberately had an open casket um funeral for her son and invited media so that front page photos were of his his brutalized body um because it mobilized people right and the 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 reason that i bring this up is that emmett till's lynching itself actually was relatively historically normal nothing super out of the ordinary happened with emmett till's killing the thing that was unusual was the public was the public funeral, right? The, the the media strategy that his family pursued afterwards, which did I think contribute to the the struggle against apartheid in the US. So on, on both sides, I think we're seeing a fairly, a fairly savvy media strategy, and it does involve flooding all of us with these like horrible images. I think if you were someone who was already um, kind of sympathetic towards the Israeli perspective. Probably not many in the audience for this, right? But I think that it probably would work quite well, right? The 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 Voldemort looking at his phone upset and all the snuff that Israel keeps posting, it probably would be fairly effective in exactly, I think, the same way that um the Al Ali um doctors having their press conference surrounded by bodies was effective. I think that the, again it comes down to a balance of force, right? Which side is going to be able to leverage what they're getting out of this strategy better? And I'm not certain yet. It feels like Palestine, but I also block everyone who <laughs> doesn't agree with the Palestinian <laughs> national liberation. So I probably have a warped perspective on that one. Yeah, I think like maybe, maybe not, right? Because we can see what the outcomes are in the real world, whether or not we're blocking people online or not. And and let's be clear, a lot of those people that um, are getting blocked are not real. Like they're, they're 
people Light with multiple you. sock puppet accounts who created their account in October this year. And 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 just spouting some of the most obscene shit. Like there, it's really fucking out there. Um, we've got a little bit of time left, so I do want to talk quickly about what's happening in the New Zealand media, um, and and how it relates to this wider kind of discussion or coverage um, of the genocide in in Gaza, because it's been much much worse than I expected uh, in terms of coverage here. They're like there, there is coverage. I'll give them that much. Sometimes, but, yeah, sometimes. Uh, but basically, nothing on the front page of the websites, um, other than interviews with a New Zealander in Israel kind of stuff. Like, that, you know, that, that really stories, man. The parochial OE. Yeah. Hey, I was just fucking Bruce from uh, Methvin was doing his OE, and uh, something in the world happened. Yeah, and. Like, it's just not being covered as an international event in the way that expect it should be. Uh, not even, not even objectively. What, what are we seeing? And you know, this, this then kind of leaks into the New Zealand caretaker government response, which you know, initially, uh, Nana Mahuta, who is foreign minister, uh, came out on Twitter and got like saying, saying immediate ceasefire, right? Like, <laughs> let's, let's not do, let's not fucking escalate this and got immediately monstered. Um, for being like an Hamas supporter, and then fucking silence from the government for three weeks mm. uh, before they've fallen in line with the. I don't actually. I don't know who's exactly running this line, but I think it's out of the U.S. State Department for a humanitarian pause, which is just fucking garbage. Like, I mm. want to be very clear, that is a bullshit term. So, what? Like, why are we seeing New Zealand media just suddenly? Uh, incapable of of dealing with this it, it doesn't help us here like there's so many people i'm seeing in like new zealand poll and like social circles who are just like where the fuck do i find information except on twitter i haven't been watching new zealand media that much didn't mike mcroberts do flak jacket and helmets for 2014 gaza he yeah. yeah he, was, he uh, was it was really good coverage so uh i'm not sure what mike's been up to i mean i do think of uh the less mali- all right so you know, you you have some some nasty people that uh, obviously opportunities to to hate Maori women and the Maori party. That's like you know, and and be pro empire. Like you know, those people are fired up, ready to go. And whatever the alternative voices for that, um, I mean, look, I, I don't even know if sorry when Chloe was talking to Seymour and look, uh, Chloe's a really competent, really good performer and uh, excellent you know, asset for the Green Party, but she didn't strike me as someone that had spent a lot of time on this particular topic. You know what I mean? So I, I don't know if there's been a generational lag of the way Palestinian solidarity was more prominent on sort of like campus activist radar screens, if if that makes sense. But but in terms of like just general media competence, I mean, it tends to be some of our worst people that end up being like DC correspondents. Just that's my view. And then and being kind of aw shucksy about the whole experience of like being in in D.C. So I'm, I'm going to opt for the less malicious way in which we snap to the sort of imperial line as opposed to. Yeah. What do you what do you think? I mean, 
you know, I think I say, I think I take a Sun Tzu kind of approach here, right? Which is that the, if you wait by the river, your enemies will float down. Um, and I think that we're kind of floating down the river right now. I think that without, like, if we aren't on our game for stuff like this, it doesn't happen. And I think that we um, kind of, yeah, this, the context that we're in is the one that you described, where we're kind of colonial cringe. We're a bit embarrassed even by our accents when Americans are around. You're the weird sounding one, not me. You are. But we're, we're embarrassed, right? We're embarrassed of ourselves. And so unless we do the work to like make things happen here the 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 inertia is going to push us in whatever direction the us is headed and so i think in, in this case we haven't kind of been on our game you mentioned kind of the activist context as kind of an, a, something that might might explain part of this right kind of this this kind of weaker response there's organic there's organic push shitloads of people here in auckland uh, we had like four to five thousand last week i'm sure there's gonna be more almost completely yeah. uncovered by media almost completely uncovered right and it was across the country it wasn't just auckland right but there's people right there's a base but i think there's not a trained kind of activist core here who are doing like really effective media work and there, there, there could be right we, we could do this but i think that this is a big weakness on the on on the left right now part of this i think is that there's been a deliberate strategy of kind of playing secret agents in some organizations who have kind of wanted to focus more on kind of behind the scenes maneuvering which has largely not done a good job of activating people and directing them and telling them what to do i think this is kind of a weakness of anarchism in general is this idea that people already know and so there don't need to be any authoritarians in cool uniforms telling people what to do but if i'm a random person I actually do want someone in a uniform to tell me what to do and lacking that kind of conscious directed revolutionary core who are ready to direct people and tell them what to do with these feelings that they have. Um, we haven't been able to kind of monopolize on this moment in the way that we should have been able to in order to even like, let alone securing a ceasefire, right? Which is the horizon for us here that we're, we're rowing towards, but even like getting this covered, we, we haven't been on our game and we've kind of fumbled the ball on this one. I think that um, this is something which we really, we really need to work on. For all that, you know, 10 minutes ago, I was saying none of it matters. It all comes after the fact, <laughs> which is true. But if people are politically conscious and know what to do, we can leverage that as real political force, right? If you have 10 people who really care about something and no direction, they will hang out. If you have 10 people who really care about something and have a concrete plan to take action, they can shut it down. So um, we we can we we can do stuff. It's just that we 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 haven't managed to we haven't managed to do stuff. I I think that if this keeps going much longer, and it looks like it's going to, if we're looking at the possibility of a multi-year engagement, um, we really need kind of a strategy. At the moment, I think that we're doing stuff, but I don't know if that there's a plan, and that that worries me. I think the other thing too is the last whatever, however many years, we're just like sleepwalking into NATO, into, I mean, there are debates in my university about why we should join AUKUS. Mm. And it's not at all, I don't know, like Beltway Media, where is any sort of public discourse about Aotearoa New Zealand and our place in the world and, you know, the new Cold War, World War Three, whatever you want to put it. Like, do we have the people in MFAT that like are uh, whatever, competent, have great nous and are, are executing something or, or or are we just whatever, when we go over to the coronation, they tell us to spend 400 million on our, sorry, the, the, was that a defense? What did, what did Charles get from uh, Hipkins? I mean, basically like, are we dictated to by empire or are there serious people involved in policy? It's certainly not reflected in, in media discourse. And particularly, again, looking at this in the broader geopolitical I mean, look, the Chinese have six battleships that 
that they've sent to the Persian Gulf. Um, this is extremely hairy, right? And uh, we don't really have a sense. Are we going to just be dragged by Australia into whatever Pax Americana? Like, we should be having these conversations and we're not, let alone about Palestine. 100%. I, I think given our position, right, like like physically where this country is on the planet, the, the fact that there's so little conversation, and this is another episode, sorry, about like AUKUS actually means that we are a really juicy military target. Like Devonport Navy Base will, will be a launching pad for a US fleet when they when they go to war with China. And if we just kind of like fumble our way along kind of off shucks and with our hands in our pockets, someone is going to nuke Devonport. And I'm going to have to then put out a press release saying that I get why they nuked Devonport, right? Which I don't want to do. So yeah, the this real kind of like, it feels like everyone is asleep with their, like asleep at the wheel and yeah. we're just kind of cruising down the highway. As- Pilger was on this like 15 years ago. It's all been really like predictable, eh? I guess, goddamn. Are we just a white country and it doesn't matter what anyone does or like any of the, like who's evil or like what our actual even material economic interests are. It just doesn't matter because this is a white country and a white man in a suit from a richer place than us tells us to go to all the China. And so we're going to get on the boat. Like, is it actually still that simple? I it's think crazy it, to me. a large like, part of it. Yeah. That's so fucking crazy to me. Like with the Russia, Ukraine stuff, I'm like, where are the neoliberals when you need them? <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, right? Neoliberalism always folds as soon as it's time for, for, I mean, you need you need the bloodshed for in order to keep the wheels of empire going. So all the neoliberals will turn around for a little bit. Once the market is useful again, they'll come back. But well, and then here's the other really fucking sick element to this, which uh, so and it was maybe last sort of geopolitical comment, but one of the things that's wild about drone warfare in Russia, Ukraine, is all the volunteer battalions and all the crowdsourcing and all the way in which little videos are and Telegram channels are so like vital to whatever shipping the drones, raising the money, telling stories about your drone operator, your battalion, all this kind of social media free market stuff. And that's happening on both sides in Ukraine and Russia. So there's this weird like free market of the new cyber war drone warfare happening. And weirdly, I'm seeing people like Rabbi Shmuley um, or Bethany Mandel, who's just a horrible, horrible, whatever Zionist, I'll just say it, whatever, she's a horrible Zionist who's you know, called for the mass murder of Palestinians. Like they're also doing these weird crowdsource fundraising things for their cousins, brothers, IDF troop. And like, is that just about getting the kind of online fandom side of things? Or is like the IDF, like even with all the billions of American, you know, money, it's still, I mean, like the Russian military was also sort of in a similar kind of like, oh, actually, yeah, we, we 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 sold the Merkavas or like you know like this kind of stuff. So it's it's a weird new. I mean, war is grim and awful, but there's this other and and now you have like fandoms for war. Like this was you know like we have a Slava Ukraini statue in uh, Dunedin in one of our few C- CBD public spaces. Yeah, I know. Fuck, I was like it's it's literally it's like one of those anti tank spikes. Um, which okay, that's what they use. But it's the the piece itself is called Slava Ukraini. Okay, this is the town from which March fifteenth was like plotted. Like Azov did circulate his manifesto. Like it's really for me. Oh my! I mean, I've been. It's, it's so fucked. Should, it's so fucked. There's so many things I should write about. And Emmy, you make it sound like well, we should be writing and doing all this stuff. But but that's also just this weird vicarious war fandom that yeah, we're seeing. I, I'm always 
like in these situations where you see like public fandoms around warfare and stuff i'm always reminded of the um drill tweet if your grave doesn't say rest in peace on it you're automatically drafted into the skeleton war it's <laughs> like, it's it's real like it, somewhere somehow you'll be hooked into supporting like this ai drone warfare like you know, this is it, it's the it's the future that imperialists want like you have your own little drone and you like get postcards from it like you used to from a 40-hour famine you know like this is this is what like trying to wage war outside the imperial core like in in a neoliberal capitalist like heavy branding marketing and sales focused hegemony ends up looking like it's it's fucking cooked and I, I think that's why, like, for, for me as someone who, like, I teach, right, um, like, I, I, and I'm an ideologue, right? Of course. I'm a, a hardened ideologue. I've, I've really, really, like, a, a worldview. <laughs> because if you don't have a worldview, you have the ruling class's worldview. Um, and so I'm not, like, ashamed to cultivate, like, a, a, like a, a, like a partisan perspective on the world there's really no other way to make sense of it you know there's the slava ukrainian thing like that if you if you don't have a partisan perspective you never like notice that those are the guys who trained and informed the christchurch shooter like actually it's kind of atrocious that we're having these like i just googled um azov nfts and like those exist so you guys are welcome. This is why, like, I'm so need... glad everyone knows that. You, you actually, it's it's so crazy. There was a again on the whole OSINT thing. There was a disinfo researcher who wrote about the uh, one voice referendum in uh, Australia and all you know whatever the rise of far right disinfo and all the rest of it. And she's publishing this work and like she has a NAFO avatar and NAFO is like the Pepe for those that don't know. It's like Pepe the Frog for like really hardcore Ukrainian it, 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 the NATO army was founded by a, a complete Nazi. Like it's not no ambiguity, no hyperbole, like a 4chan degenerate would be mass shooter Nazi. Like, so it, so uh, anyway, there you go. So you, you, you just sort of end up stumbling into, well, I guess I just said the Nazi salute. Whoops. So uh, I guess, <laughs> Well, it is wrapping up as we we hit on a, a bunch of different tangents. But Amy, like, what where can people kind of find things to do? Yeah, I mean, like the in the the first case, right? Um, your area will have a Palestine solidarity thing on. You should go. Um, if we aren't like, we have very very few means. I mean, like, oh, vote. Yeah, you should. Vote. I feel stupid every time I vote. You should vote, whatever. But the only means that we have to actually affect politics is when we can demonstrate that we have popular support on our side, which we usually fucking do, right? And unless we can demonstrate that support, it counts for literally shit. So going to solidarity events is really, really important. Um, but also, like, give money to these organizations. Um, having been part of People Against Prisons Aotearoa now for, like, eight years, it's actually really expensive to run these kinds of things. And so... If you can give money to these projects, you definitely should because they for sure 100% need it. Um, also, like, join them. Um, meetings are often really boring, but, um, like, if we don't do this stuff, we never get organized and we lose, we eat shit every time. So show up, donate, get on board, um, and, like, think about if you're willing to get arrested, right? Sometimes you're in a place in your life where it's not going to ruin you if you do. And if that's the case, 
make that known to organizers because they will be able to make use of you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Palestinian Solidarity Chapter in Dunedin is crying out for people. So uh, don't be shy. Uh, squishy libs, come be less squishy. Like, you know, it's okay. Like, I, you know, like this is really, uh, uh, how to put this? I mean, people need, like when we marched a couple weeks ago, like it was, unit like there were a few trolls on the edges um interestingly the guys leading uh and i i mean i'm not trying to be divisive on purpose or whatever but the pro-ukraine rally the leader of that swapped out his ukraine flag at one o'clock for his israel flag which was like okay that's weird um but those people showed up at the margins and it was cool it was a powerful emotionally but like really replenished me, like, you know, really gave me something. And so come be part of that experience. And, yeah, and, uh, see those people and, around and, you, right? and don't be shy. Come on now. I know everyone was honking. So like the overwhelming, this is this weird thing. I mean, I'm, I'm on, I'm on campus and students are not terribly politicized or have never been part of a march. And you just, you just join. That's it. You just march along and you say hi to some people and you meet some people. And, and then, then maybe you, maybe you join a committee but we need more people actually just taking that first step towards politics. Fantastic. Thank you, uh, both of you, for, for joining me uh, this morning. Uh, and thank you to everyone who's listened to this. Uh, share it around. We've had a couple of episodes now um, about what's happening in Gaza. Um, there's a really good one last week. Go back and have listened to that as well um, with some people who have been in the uh, activism space around Palestine for a, for a really long time. Um, they had some really important viewpoints to share. Uh, share social media, give us five stars, yada, 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 yada. And we'll catch you for the weekend current events uh, on Sunday as well. See you next time. Are And I'll admit that I'm at a loss for what to say When they call this as a cost we ought to stay Cause I live amongst the people every day In this vindictive, forgetful fucking rain It feels like we're on the road to hell